Thank you, Olivia, for that ministry in music. This morning, my message has a twofold purpose. The first is, I'm going to be stressing, as you can imagine, if you've been with us for any period of time, reading your Bible through in a year. I've done that now for 30 years in a row. And Lord willing, we'll continue to do it as long as I'm able uh, to uh, speak about the importance of reading the Scripture. And at the end of the service, we'll have Bible reading schedules that we'll pass out. And uh, you're welcome to, uh, to help you on that, to attain that goal of reading your Bible through in a year. Also included in the bulletin is a handout that Pastor Dave put together for you, for those of you that would like to read your Bible digitally. Uh, either through uh, some electronic device, uh, by computer or uh, handheld device, whatever the case may be. There are different websites and applications there for, for you to avail yourself of. And when I say read the Bible through, you don't necessarily have to really read it. If uh, reading is difficult for you, then I'd say listen to the Bible through in the year. And there are many ways in which uh, you can do that in sites available and Tapes that can be purchased, CDs, all that good stuff. The second purpose is that I want to give you some background to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where I'm going to be going next in our uh, studies in Sunday morning. We're going to go verse by verse through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, so if you'd like to study ahead, you're welcome to read Ecclesiastes in the weeks to come. And uh, today we look at uh, Solomon. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, we're going to look at God's instructions regarding a king. Again, I'm going to use this as background to help us better understand Solomon as we think about the book of Ecclesiastes and also talk about the importance of reading scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God establishes laws regarding a king when Israel moves from a theocracy to a monarchy. In the time of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is leading the children of Israel. And Israel has never had a king. God has been their king, if you will. But there's going to be a, come a time in which the children of Israel want an earthly king like the nations around about them. That's not a good move on their part. But uh, God is going to limit the ramifications of that bad move by setting forth some stipulations upon the king so that the king does not abuse his subjects. So the background to this is given to us in starting in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. The day will come when Israel will want an earthly king to reign over them. Deuteronomy 7, 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Now that time is going to come in the time of Israel's prosperity. Verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord gives you, and you possess it, and you live in it. So there's a progression. Israel is going to go to the promised land and they're going to conquer it all without a king. They're going to have a leader, but he's not a king. Joshua is going to lead them. 
And they're going to take possession of the land. And once they take possession of the land, they have leaders, they have judges at that point that lead the children of Israel, but they don't have a king. They have judges. But the time will come when Israel settles in and they have peace and they have prosperity and everything is going well, then at that point, they are going to desire a king. That will come at the expense of their love for God. Notice verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, God had given them this land. But they failed, after a period of time, to appreciate what God had done for the nation of Israel. They lost sight of, they lost perspective of all that God had done for them. Instead of celebrating their uniqueness and the way in which God had set apart Israel for himself in a totally unique way, different from all the nations round about them, how he had fought for them, how they had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, how they had experienced the manna God fed them in the wilderness. After they had forgotten the blessings of their uniqueness and the intimacy that they enjoyed with God, they began to look around them and envy the nations that were around them. Notice the end of verse 14 of chapter 17. I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Now, notice the irony of that thought. Israel wanted to be like the nations that are around about them. Let me ask you, have you ever desired to be like the people that live next door? Have you ever envied, as a young person, the way non-Christians live? Have you ever gotten to a place where you have forgotten what God has done for you? You have forgotten what God has delivered you from? You've forgotten where God has blessed you uniquely, and now you begin to look at what other people have, their houses, their, their properties, their cars, their whatever, and you begin to want to be like them. Well, that's where Israel was. They looked around and they began to become envious of these other countries, these other nations, because they all had a king. And they didn't. And they forgot that they had conquered all of these nations that had a king. And they had not. The actual occurrence of this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. You don't need to turn there. But uh, at this point in time, Samuel is the judge in Israel. And in 1 Samuel 8, 19, it says, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted an earthly leader to look up to, somebody that would have all the pomp, 
all the circumstance. Have the robes, have the crown, have all of the prestige of a king. They wanted this earthly leader. And God said to Samuel, to say to the people, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to, in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They made a choice, God says. And they decided that they'd rather have an earthly king fight their battles than me. They'd rather have an earthly king go before them in battle. And remember that as they are conquering the promised land, what goes before them is the Ark of the Covenant. They'd rather have a king lead them into battle than the Ark of the Covenant lead them into battle. So this is not a good move on their part. But God says to them, I have some stipulations when you establish a king. And here are the stipulations. And they were intended to make this as not as egregious as it could be. Not as bad as it could be. The first stipulation was that the king must be one of God's choosing. Verse 15, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. It should be noted, however, that despite the fact that God chooses the king, the desire for the king is a sinful one on the part of the people. This is God's acquiescing to the desires of the people. What motivates it is sinful. But God says, don't you dare Establish someone to be king that I haven't chosen. The next stipulation, and uh, we're not going to look into the countrymen and all of that. I'm going to, for the sake of time, move to verse 16. Stipulations upon the king to limit his negative influences. And I'm going to look at each one of these stipulations and compare Solomon's kingship to these stipulations. Because I believe that Solomon is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it gives us some insight into where Solomon is coming from as he writes Ecclesiastes. So here are the stipulations for the king. First stipulation. You shall not amass horses. Look at Deuteronomy 7.16. The king was not to have a great many horses. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself. He shall not multiply horses for himself. It was a prestigious thing for a king to have a great uh, equestrian uh, army. And so God says the, the king should not multiply unto himself horses. And the reason that it gives is found in verse 16. Nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Where was he going to get these horses from? Answer, he was going to buy them from Egypt. And God didn't want that. God didn't want Israel to become dependent upon Egypt. They didn't want to look at Egypt as being a favorable nation. They didn't want to start a, a trade agreement with Egypt. God had delivered them 
from Egypt. God wanted them to be separate from Egypt. So God says, don't multiply horses. Solomon totally ignored this stipulation. According to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 26, And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. 40,000 stalls of horses. I say he multiplied horses unto himself. And Solomon formed an unhealthy alliance with Egypt. 1 Kings 3.1 then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David. So David, uh, excuse me, so Solomon not only enters into a treaty with Egypt, not only does he give them favorable trading status, but in order to guarantee that that treaty is going to be observed, he marries into Pharaoh's family and takes Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife to seal the treaty. To guarantee that Egypt is going to be looked upon favorably and that they will be fully accepted. That is the very thing that God was concerned about. He said, that's what's going to happen if you go back to Egypt and start multiplying horses. You're going to develop a relationship to Egypt that you shouldn't develop. Solomon did. The second stipulation was against amassing wives. The king was not to have an abundance of wives. Deuteronomy 17:17. 17, 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Why? According to Deuteronomy 17:17. 17, 17, because the wise would turn his heart away from the Lord. Neither shall you multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. There's the warning. If you multiply wives to yourself, the heart of the king is going to be turned away from God. First Kings 11.3 Listen to how Solomon stacks up on that point. And he had... 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. So, in essence, he had a thousand sexual partners. 700 of them were wives. 300 of them were concubines. The difference between a wife and a concubine was that the child of a wife could theoretically eventually become king. They had legal status. The wife, the children of a concubine, had no legal status. So they had no claim on the throne. But theoretically, all of the children of the 700 wives had some lineage that would put them in line for the throne. Now you can imagine the headache of figuring that out uh, as to who's married first and, and all this other stuff. But the point is, he had 700 wives, and he had 300 concubines. I think you could say that he multiplied wives unto himself. So, how did that turn out? How did that turn out? 
Answer, his wives turned his heart away from following God. 1 Kings 11.2 From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away from their gods. Solomon held fast to those in love. And he had 700 wives, princes and concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away. Three times in three verses, it says that his wives turned Solomon's heart away from God. In what way? Well, listen. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away from and followed after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father was. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And I could read on, more and more and more. And he built altars to these gods. He built houses for these gods. He built temples for these gods. And not only did he promote the false worship of these gods, but he himself began to worship these gods. Notice, Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Nocom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon himself offered sacrifices to these gods. His heart was turned away from following God, just as the Scripture said that it would. Then there were stipulations against amassing silver and gold, verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. 1 Kings 10, 16 through 23. Listen to these verses. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 beaks of gold uh, into, which, uh, into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold and three mines of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. Solomon didn't have anything made of silver. What's that? Everything Solomon had was made of gold. King Solomon was greater in riches than all the other kings of the earth. Solomon had more gold than any king on the face of this earth. They wanted a king like all the others. Well, they got more than they, they, they accounted, expected. Not only did he live in opulence, but more than any other king on the face of the earth. I would say to you that he went against this command that he should not amass for himself gold. Now, there's a phrase there that, that I have 
not been emphasizing, but it's important. And each time it says for himself. For himself. For himself. Because you can look at it and you can say, well, didn't God bless Solomon with this wealth? Wasn't it God who gave this gold to Solomon? Yes and no. Yes and no. First of all, yes, God did richly bless Solomon in his early days. But it was not God's intention that Solomon would just take all this gold and heap it up for himself, for his own use. All of that gold that I read about there was used for his own palace, used for his own houses, used for his own wealth. David was rich. But what did David do with his gold? King David also dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. David used his gold to set up a warehouse of monies to be used for the building of the temple. He didn't just amass gold for himself. Solomon, though, amassed the gold for himself. Now, if you know the story of Solomon, Solomon starts off well. Solomon starts off as a dedicated king who loves God. So, what went wrong? What went wrong? You say, well, he multiplied wives, but why did he do that? What went wrong? You say, well, because he amassed all this gold. But why did he do that? What went wrong? Well, he had all these horses. But why did he do that? How did Solomon get from being this incredibly godly, dedicated king when he's dedicating the temple to God to in his old age worshipping false gods and offering sacrifices to them. How did he get from point A to point B? Where was the real failure? What is the real culprit? What had Solomon done wrong in guarding his heart before God? I believe it's the next stipulation. Let's look at it. Verse 18. Stipulation regarding God's law. First, the king shall make a copy of the law. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom... He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. He shall make a copy of this law on the scroll. This law shall be venerated. For it says, in the presence of the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests had the responsibility for the law. So, Solomon 
and all the kings were to make authoritative copies, if you will, of the law of God. They were to get or have made copies of the scriptures that carried the stamp of approval of the Levitical priests that said, yes, this is God's word. It was to guarantee that the king wouldn't change it and that the king wouldn't start abusing the scriptures. There is a story about Benjamin Franklin. Remember, Benjamin Franklin was a printer. And they said that Benjamin Franklin had a a, a mischievous way of trying to win arguments. That uh, he would make up Bible verses and print them off so that they would look like texts of the Scripture and say, well, the Bible says, and would hand people a Scripture verse that he had made up and uh, to win a particular argument. He'd do it with a twinkle in his eye. He got a big kick out of doing that. The king wasn't to make up the law of God. So he was to have certified copies by the Levitical priests. But notice that he was to make this copy of the law for himself. That this law applied to him. He wasn't above the law of God. He was subservient to the law of God. He did not make or dictate the law of God. He received the law of God. And so all these other things Solomon did for himself, this is the one he should have done for himself. Should have made a copy of the law of God. Here's where I'm going to begin to make my applications for reading the Bible through in the year. Uh, we have incredible access to the Word of God in our generation, in our day, in which other generations and other periods of time would have just longed for. I hope you understand that. It was a huge thing when uh, Gutenberg invented the printing press. And, uh, of course, the, the book that uh, was first printed was, was the Scriptures. Uh, it was wonderful to think that you could have a Bible. Well, Bibles today in America are a dime a dozen. There are still places around the world where they'd love to have a printed copy of the Scriptures. But for us, you know, probably many of us have four or five, six different Bibles, different translations. There's a plethora of ways in which we can have access to the Scriptures. Now, not only do we have the printed Bible, but we have digital devices. You know, uh, I used to carry a copy of the New Testament in my pocket. I don't carry a copy of the New Testament in my pocket anymore because I carry an iPhone. And on my iPhone, I don't just have the New Testament, I have the whole Bible. I have the whole Bible. And at any time, I can sit down. You know, if I'm waiting for my wife, I'm standing in line, I can turn my uh, phone on and just flip and memorize the Scripture. It is so available to us today. We have it on the Internet. We have, we have so many different ways to access the Scriptures. I encourage you, pick a way, but read your Bible through in a year. As I said, we have audible Bibles. Pastor Dave uh, put in uh, the bulletin websites where you can go and you can just listen to the Bible read to you. If you don't have uh, the web, you can purchase tapes, CDs, whatever media you have. 
of somebody reading the Bible. You can stand at the kitchen sink and listen to the Bible. You can listen to the Bible as you drive a car. I'm not big on audible books. I don't enjoy listening to somebody else read. I'd much rather read for myself. But if you like audible books, it's, it's there for you. And I'd say, go for it. Listen to the Bible through in a year. But the king should have a veneration of the law of God. And now next. The king shall read the law of God daily. Notice verse 19. And it shall be with him. And he shall read of it all the days of his life. All the days of his life. Solomon was to read the scripture every day. That was a command that God had given to the king. Every day, the king was to read the scriptures. Solomon, we will see next week, was the smartest man on the face of the earth. The wisest man on the face of the earth. No human being before or after Solomon was as wise as Solomon. And yet Solomon went into this great apostasy, which ought to teach us that just being wise doesn't guard our hearts. Just being familiar with the scriptures doesn't mean that we will always walk with him. Just knowing what the Bible says doesn't mean that we're always going to do it. The command to Solomon wasn't know the scriptures. No question. Solomon knew the scriptures. It wasn't Solomon, familiarize yourself with these laws. There is no question that Solomon was familiar with the laws. But what Solomon did was break this command. What Solomon did was become lax, indifferent, apathetic. To the law of God, which eventually took its toll. Eventually took its toll. For notice the benefits from reading God's law on a daily basis. First, the king will be motivated to obey the word of God. Verse 19. It should be with him and he shall read all the days of his life. Why? So that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this laws and these statutes. He was to evaluate his life. He was to evaluate his kingdom. He was to evaluate his rule. And learn to do two things. One, fear God. To recognize the consequences of sin. And then to practice obedience. Reading the word of God and fearing God go hand in hand. Deuteronomy 31.11 When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he shall choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, the alien who are in your town in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. 
But carefulness is a product of reading the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. That's the biggest reason I encourage you to read through the Bible in a year. It's the daily aspect. We all need to be in the Word of God daily. To keep our hearts. To keep our hearts. If a person like Solomon could end in such apostasy, and a person like David, who loved the Lord his God, could end up with such sin, where might we go? What might typify our life if we become lax and lackadaisical concerning the Word of God? You see, my concern is not just for the novice who has never read the Bible. I say to you, you need to read your Bible through because you need to know your Bible. You need to know what it says. If you've never read the Bible, please read the Bible. I don't care if you've been doing it the last 40 years. It's not about how much you know. It's not about can you win a game of Bible trivia. It's not about simple details. It's that the Word of God guards our hearts and our minds and our actions. It keeps us from the improper envy. It shows us the end. It reminds us of who and what we are. Which brings us to the second one. Is that it causes humility. Notice verse 20. That his heart may, <clears throat> may not be lifted up above his countrymen. That Solomon might not think himself more important or better than the people that he serves over. Solomon, at the beginning, was incredibly humble. God appeared to Solomon and said to Solomon when he first became king, What do you want? And Solomon said this, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Give me wisdom so I can help these people. However, Solomon quickly moved from a place in which he saw himself as privileged to serve God's people to a place where God's people were serving him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, there is a long depiction of Solomon's wealth and his accomplishments. He said, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made pines of water. Of, uh, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves for myself. If you read through Ecclesiastes, it's myself, 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 myself. 
Solomon got to the place where he only looked after himself. He forgot he was God's servant. And he forgot that he was to be a benefit to the people. How much so? When Solomon dies, his son is next in line to be king. And the question is, were the people going to follow Solomon's son or not? And they actually had a huge meeting. Armies gathered together. And there was this statement made. Your father, referring to Solomon's son, your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. It's talking about taxes. And the people say to Solomon's son, your dad made our life miserable. We were taxed so heavily that we could hardly get by. Why? So Solomon could have his horses. So Solomon could have his wives. So Solomon could have his houses. So Solomon could have his gold. It was all about Solomon. And not about the people. Mankind hasn't changed very much. If we don't read the scriptures, it's amazing how quickly our lives can be all about ourselves. What's going to make me happy? What's going to make me fulfilled? What's going to bring joy to my life? Who's interested in me? Who cares about me? Me, 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 me. Is what happens if we don't read the Word of God on a continual basis. And there's no getting beyond that. There's no arriving at a, per, at a particular station or place in time that we become immune to that temptation. It's only the Word of God that brings about this humility, that reminds us on where we have come from and what God has done for us. To realize the blessings that we enjoy are His grace and the product of having lived righteous and holy lives. And if we don't live that way, how quickly our lives can be so fraught with sin and heartache and misery. Israel forgot where they came from, and they wanted a king. Solomon forgot where he came from. Where he initially said, Lord, I, I can't do this. To a place where he says, I got this down. I don't need God. The greatest temptation for us is in the times of prosperity. Just as it was for Israel. It wasn't when they were conquering the land. It was once they had lived and dwelt in it in this passage. It wasn't the problem when the king started off. It was when Solomon enjoyed peace and blessings and 
All these other things. Maybe you don't have time to read the Word of God. You're too blessed. You're too busy. Too many other important things to do. Maybe you see no need to read the Word of God. Why do I need to read the Bible? I'm doing just fine. I'm happy. My family's doing great. We need to have the humility to recognize that we need the Word of God to speak to our hearts each and every day. Because we're so capable of going astray. The third benefit is the impact it's going to have upon the king's children. Deuteronomy 17.20 That his heart may not be lifted above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, in order that he and his sons may continue along in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. That the king and his children would have the privilege and duty of serving the Lord. As a result of Solomon's sinfulness, the majority of his kingdom was taken away. His son lost a good portion of the kingship because his son followed in Solomon's footsteps. One of the saddest things to watch as a pastor is the impact of the indifference of Christians on their children. What a blessing to grow up in a home where father and mother love God, His Word, attend to worship regularly, and give credence to the Scriptures. What a detriment for a child to grow up in a home where mom and dad no longer care about going to church. No longer are interested in reading the Bible and having family devotions. What? Not only an example, but what a trajectory they have now placed before their children. Where are they going to end up? What are they going to be like? What kind of hardships are they going to experience? And what joys are they going to be deprived of? Don't allow that to happen to your family. Don't allow that to happen to your children. Be involved in the Word of God on a daily basis. That's my main thrust. And I say read the Bible through because it's an easy goal to achieve. And we need to know the whole counsel of God. We need to be obedient to the whole counsel of God. We need to be confronted with all of what God's Word says. So I say read the Bible through in a year. Learn from Solomon.
Learn from David. Learn from Israel. Learn from your friends, your fellow Christians, that become apathetic and indifferent to the Word of God and where that leads. I'm not trying to be melodramatic this morning. I don't think I'm overstating. I don't think I have exaggerated one iota. There is no hyperbole in this. I really believe that we need to be in the Word of God on a regular basis or our hearts will go cold. May it never be. Let's pray.